Welcome everyone. We're so glad you're here to chat with us. I'm Lauren. And I'm Lindsay. Lindsay, we are so glad to have you back with us. Do you want to share with everyone where you've been? I am so happy to be back, everyone. Thank you uh, for sticking around with us while Lauren pulled all the weight for this. Um, I had a good reason for being gone, though. Um, I just had a baby. So this is my first episode back, and I'm so happy to be back with y'all. Um, my little girl is going to be three months old this Friday. So really? by the time this podcast comes out, uh, she'll be right about three months. Yeah. Oh my goodness, how time flies. <laughs> it sure does. We are so excited for baby girl. She's amazing. Today, we're honored to have Dr. Whitehead with us. He is the executive director at the Phoenix City Housing Authority. Thank you, Dr. Whitehead, for joining us. My pleasure. Before we get into our conversation, please tell us a little bit about yourself. I hail from uh, Phoenix City uh, currently. Uh, I'm originally from Youngstown, Ohio, a small city uh, in Northeast Ohio, directly located between Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and Cleveland, Ohio. And uh, I've been here in Phoenix City for a couple of years, uh, have a background in city government, economic development on the commercial side, and of course, housing. It looks like you've almost always been in city government or, or something to do with city government. For the most part, the first part of my career was actually spent in ministry. Okay. Uh, about 20 years uh, in full-time ministry, traveling the world, doing mission work, um, working with the underserved uh, on a couple different continents and um, chose to uh, focus my attention on local communities rather than a global community. Mm. Um, I felt called to... Uh, work on the local level. Can you tell us where some of your travels have been to? You said it took you all around the world. Where have yes. you been fortunate enough to visit? I have been fortunate enough. Uh, I spent some time in Zimbabwe, Africa, South Africa, rather. Uh, a lot of time in London, England, uh, Birmingham, England, uh, a couple different cities in Italy, and uh, have gone to Germany. What was your favorite? What was your favorite place to visit? Well, uh, definitely felt a connection in Africa, mm. uh, but probably my favorite uh, country was Italy. Oh, really? Beautiful. And uh, it, the World War II movies, I'm old enough to have grown up on those, those movies. And so much of it just reminds me of that era. Yeah. And the food was wonderful. Okay, that's that's it for me. It's, it's <laughs> that's my favorite part about anywhere you've traveled is the oh, food. For sure. Yes. <laughs> okay, so Dr. Wayad, you are the director of the Phoenix City Housing Authority. Mm -hmm. So tell us what, what that means. What do you do? Um, what is the housing authority in general for those that don't know? Walk us through that. So the Housing Authority is a creation of uh, uh, FDR, Franklin Roosevelt's presidency, the New Deal concept uh, that introduced public housing uh, to provide sanitary, uh, affordable, and safe housing for 
uh, citizens uh, in various communities. Prior to public housing, uh, the shanties, the uh, housing uh, conditions in the country were deplorable, uh, especially for those of low economic means. So uh, FDR introduced the New Deal, and over the course of the last 60, 70 years, uh, public housing has uh, been constructed and it has evolved. Normally in communities, uh, they are barrack-style brick uh, roll houses of some kind, and it's um, not difficult to distinguish them. Uh, I've just returned from New York City, and uh, their high-rise public housing apartments are unique to any other high-rise in the cities. Right. Uh, so we, uh, at our core mission, are property managers, where we try to uh, provide accommodations for very low-income to low-income individuals, and a part of the public housing offering is something called Section 8. Uh, the proper name is Housing Choice Voucher, and that is where uh, a family can take a voucher and live anywhere in the community that they desire, uh, as long as that landlord accepts the voucher. Interesting. So, it, so it's based on income, right? Yes. To, to be qualified, if also ability and age, am I correct in that? Uh, so uh, the federal government publishes um, uh, a report annually on uh, income limits. So I'm pulling these out of the air. Don't, uh, they're not accurate numbers, but for a single individual, if they make less than let's say $22,000 a year, they would then qualify for mm. public housing. Uh, and then single individual with one child, one dependent, that income may be 24,000. And so then as long as they meet those income requirements, um, they would qualify. Uh, some individuals don't have any income. Uh, and so, you know, they would also uh, qualify Normally, there is a minimum rent. It kind of changes from housing authority to housing authority, where $25 or $50 minimum rent uh, may be required. There's some who, uh, through a formula, end up not having to pay because of what's called a utility allowance. Uh, so at the end of the day, uh, we are responsible and tasked with providing very low income and low income individuals a roof over their head. Right. Um, and uh, normally they are single parents, uh, more often than not mothers with, mm. with children. Interesting. So walk me through a journey, uh, you know, so how does, how does somebody end up at public housing? Because I feel like maybe I'm wrong that this is sort of a prevention of someone becoming homeless in, in, in a dire situation, but it, it can't always be that way. I, walk me through a journey of, of how somebody might end up in public housing or, or need that, that resource. It, it varies. So uh, our senior population, 55 and over, uh, oftentimes individuals who do not have a traditional pension, uh, 
401k, 403b, all they have is their social security. And depending upon their work history through life, that social security might only be $500 a month, $800 a month. And uh, they don't have the family support uh, to provide housing. Uh, so we then become uh, that option where a senior adult can live independently on their social security. Uh, because of course it, it's, it's based on income. Uh, you have other individuals who uh, young mother doesn't have um, skills to be able to secure gainful employment. Uh, often they're underemployed, not making a livable wage. And so, you know, we are able to provide housing for that mother and those children. Uh, so it, it just, um, it, it really is a case study in poverty and poverty prevention. I see. Uh, and yes, you are absolutely correct. We provide an option so that individuals aren't homeless. Uh, but in a lot of cases, um, homelessness is almost a choice, not in every situation, but because of the mental health epidemic, um, a lot of individuals choose to be homeless, whereas um, a lot of the mothers and families that we support uh, in terms of providing the housing option, uh, they may have other options, but they may not be safe. They may not be sanitary. Um, they may not be honorable options. Mm. So our ideal approach is to provide housing, but not make it permanent housing. And that's where we have challenged, been challenged over the years. Once people get into public housing or get a voucher, uh, it's difficult. We have not been effective in moving them off of the program to create space for new individuals. Mm. It becomes a situation where they have a roof and that's it. So they stay with us longer than what I feel they should. Well, tell me more about that because maybe I'm a misunderstanding, but if, if somebody's on a fixed income, how do they move away from an affordable place to live? I mean, I'm, I'm just saying that I think that housing, there's a housing shortage, obviously, and an affordable housing shortage. So if someone's on a fixed income, how do you, how do you help them move on from public housing? What is your solution for that? Excellent question. So if you're on a fixed income because you're a senior, or let's say you are a social security recipient, SSI, uh, due to some type of disability, uh, you are not only welcome, you should stay in some type of subsidized housing. If you are in your teens, if you're in your 20s, if you're in your 30s, even if you're in your 40s, the goal is to inspire you, motivate you, assist you to get equipped, to move beyond this program that subsidizes your housing. The original concept 
when it was introduced in the late 30s was that it would be temporary. Mm -hmm. It's a stopgap measure. Right. Over the years, it has become more of a permanent solution. And our goal is to empower individuals and help them get equipped to one, dream, and two, help them develop a strategy to fulfill that dream. And that is to be independent of any government regulation or dependency. And truthfully, the government calls it self-sufficiency. So that's really our goal. Okay. Now we're providing resources to provide housing. <laughs> right. I was going to say that's a pretty big goal, Dr. Whitehead. So the challenge is, you know, so we tackled this. We partnered with Troy University and Sonova's Bank to um, provide financial literacy. Okay. So the housing authority helps by providing daycare services while the families are getting educated on, on, you know, how to do a budget, how does credit work, uh, how do you buy a car, uh, what are interest rates, all things that some of us may have taken for granted or were taught by our parents. Uh, we try to provide these these resources. Uh, we offer GED training. Um, we offer um, other tutoring or job skills where we will partner with individuals to try to get individuals to feel good about themselves and to act, actually act on whatever their dream is. Mm. Is there a success story that's kind of stuck with you um, from someone that you know has been able to live in public housing um, and use the resources that y'all have offered to really accomplish that dream of moving up and having a you know house of their own. I don't have one yet in Phoenix City. Uh, I've been here going on two years and with COVID, mm-hmm. it's one Tough of those situations it. where people are just now coming out of the houses mm-hmm. to say, yes, we're willing to, to participate. Um, and, and regretfully, sometimes finding those success stories is like hunting for a needle in a haystack because it takes a lot of work. And I always use the example that when you're dealing with poverty and you're dealing with people and individuals who are considered poor by our standards, society standards, Escaping the stratosphere of poordom requires velocity like going a rocket going to the moon because you have the gravitational pull of being poor and low income that 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 pulls you and it doesn't allow you to escape without a greater velocity to move you into middle class. Right. Same thing with middle class. People that were born into a middle class community environment, family, it's more difficult for them to escape 
middle class. They might become upper middle class, but it's difficult for them to escape being middle class and move into what society would consider wealthy or rich mm. with all of the education, with all of the experiences, because it's your norm. Anything out of being normal then becomes uncomfortable. And our default is always to go to that which is comfortable. So when we deal with low income, we are literally trying to teach life skills. Yeah. I have a staff member right now working on a housekeeping pamphlet that says you can, this is how you clean your bathtub. This is how you clean your apartment. Wow. Um, and, and, and I, the last thing I want to be is to paint a broad scope, broad, uh, picture where everyone doesn't know how to clean their apartment. That's not accurate. But a lot of times young mothers or overwhelmed mothers, um, I remember, you know, my children are 11 months apart and my wife would, um, would be challenged with caring for young children, Lindsay, and (laughs) trying to cook a meal and trying to keep a house clean and all of these things. And, you know, she had me, but still it, it, it just can be overwhelming is the point. So to equip individuals who may not have the greatest work ethic or understand the discipline involved and understand the stick to itness that is required in life, uh, we are literally trying to build a life um, and and shepherd people through some things that they just haven't been exposed to. Well, I can say that I had all the support that a mother could have. Um, great parents, you know, um, my husband is wonderful, mm-hmm. good friends, and I still struggled. Mm-hmm. And I still struggle as a, a parent of adult children. So I can only imagine a, a woman or a young person having children and not having those supports and how difficult that would be to move yourself out of your situation. So I can, I, you know, we, we need to support them. So I'm yeah. so grateful that you all have those resources. I had no idea it was more than just providing housing. So it's wonderful to hear that. Yes. Part of this economic pillar, economic mobility pillar is housing, but yes, it is also better jobs um, better skills. So you'd get a better job learning about your finances. Cause I didn't learn about how to do a credit card in school or like, what does credit mean in school? Right. So those are all skills that we all need. And like we always, you know, here it takes a village. And so that is really exciting to hear the resources that y'all offer to be partners with them and help them succeed. It's, it's 100% a, a community. Uh, because once the children get school age, then the educators are carrying that load day to day. And, you know, uh, children can be cruel if you don't have the right clothes, if you don't have the latest, greatest tennis shoes, oh, all of that stuff. Oh, and, it's only gotten worse over time. <laughs> <laughs> right. And mothers or parents, um, if they have physical limitations, then they're, they're on a fixed income, Mm -hmm. or even if they're job searching, they're looking for a livable wage. Mm -hmm. And, and 
so so they have to be mindful that they can't make too much money or their housing is affected. Mm. But at the same time, you know, they want to provide for their family. So there are a lot of situations mm. where you're making enough money, but you're not making enough money to do everything that you desire to do. And that's not live an extravagant lifestyle. So it really takes wonderful agencies like the United Way, uh, organizations like Rotary and the Kiwanis, and of course the school system to for all of us to pitch in uh, and focus on specific needs so that we can support individuals. What would you say are some misconceptions people have about affordable housing? That all of the occupants are lazy, uh, that, that uh, they will steal and kill and hurt you if you walk through the communities. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone uses drugs and everyone is drunk all the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're different. Those people mm-hmm. over there, regardless of race, but they're different. It's those people. Mm-hmm. And um, they are just people like you and I who truthfully are struggling. And, 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 and here's the thing. If a lot of us came up, were reared, the way that they came up and were reared, a lot of us would be where they are. Absolutely. So it's, it's not always, it's a, often it's a generational challenge. What I said earlier, if you were born into poverty, then it is very difficult to find the inspiration, to find the support, to escape that situation. The educational system does a wonderful job, but once young people get to be about teenagers, then their focus changes mm-hmm. and I don't know if I'm not putting it on the schools I'm putting it on society as a whole I don't know if we've done the best job of keeping their attention and their focus to get them through those high school years without swaying uh so if you're not an athlete if you're not into if you're not naturally smart and a good student you can really struggle for inclusion and and, and normally it's those negative lifestyle choices that become so attractive. Yep. It could have been me. It definitely could have been me. Had I not, like I said, had I not had all those supports, that would have been me. I was uh, a relatively young mother. Mm -hmm. Um, I succeeded only because I had those supports in my life. I had a good family. I had great great neighbors. I had a good um, education had I not had those things, like a lot of our, our neighbors in Columbus and Phoenix City, I would I, I would have been me. I would have needed those resources. So I, I I find it hard when people are judgmental, when they don't empathize that that could, that could have been any of us if we didn't have the res- those supports that we grew up with. So, and I think that that's why United Way is so focused on this pillar of economic mobility that housing is isn't just about right now 
I mean, it is for, for those that are, you know, in peril, but where people live and where children grow up, it has a, such a long-term effect on their yes. well-being. And like you said, that trajectory and those, those boundaries that end up in their way. My, my daughter is uh, a young adult who uh, I think she's 28, going to turn 29. So she's taking a new job in a in a city that's a couple hours away from where she is so she's third grade teacher and she just accepted a job to be an assistant principal at elementary school she's also doing her phd in education and so trying to close out school year doing her uh, dissertation studies trying to move and so the other day she said daddy she said I am so overwhelmed and I have a support system. She said, I don't know how people operate without a support system. I would be crazy. Mm-hmm. And I thought about that. And unfortunately, the way society is kind of moved nowadays, she's almost an anomaly where more people don't have a support system. Mm-hmm. And 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 it's to your point where, you know organizations like the United Way and others, the services they provide are so critical because there's such a significant need out there in the community. All we can do is fulfill one little piece, one wedge of it. And it's like, I have to have a United Way to pass the baton to because I don't have the resources the manpower, the whatever, to be able to then help for the next step. So if if all of us could just serve in the need that that we're serving, then as this relay continues on, more and more people would be positively affected. That's right. We have to have a collaboration, a partnership. 100%. No no one entity or person can do it all. No. And that is one great thing about the Chattahoochee Valley. And I feel like I hear that so much as we are all so willing to help. Um, We are such a philanthropic region. Um, People really just truly do want to help the people out there. Um, And yeah, we have to collaborate. We can't all be everything to everybody. Um, So that is why we are great. We are thankful to have partners um, that can help us along the way. Absolutely. And there's no one solution either. Everyone, everyone needs are different. So all those partnerships are critical. No, it, it, it really is. Um, you know, if, if you look at it from an academic and a research, uh, there are uh, studies, but at the end of the day, as human beings, while we are all very similar, we're also vastly different. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, there's no one size fits all solution to all of the ills and challenges uh, that we as Americans and we as a world community face. So uh, it's really important that people serve, whether it's their local church, their local nonprofit, uh, and provide, you know, whatever assistance they can. uh, Because it's important that we as a generation and we as a community uh, serve and help those in need. Um, I think that um, 
we are only as strong as those services that we can provide to the people who need it most. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Dr. Whitehead, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. Yes, ma'am. My pleasure. Hey, everyone. Thank you for joining us today. To catch a previous episode or for more information about United Way, visit unitedwayofthecv.org. The next month, we talk about health. One of the three United Way pillars is health access. And as we know, after our experience with COVID, we know that health and health access are vital to the well-being of our community. You don't want to miss this conversation. Thank you for listening today. We're so glad you're here to chat with us.